we need to pray for a family who is in Haiti right now. Yes, they are. Uh, there's a group in Haiti, and uh, they're out there doing some missions work. Praise be to the Most High God. And if you haven't gone on a missions trip and you have never ministered to people outside this country, get out. Get out of here in the name of Jesus. Um, I'm sick of seeing Christians who live in this small bubble of Southern California and they really think this is how the whole world operates. No, you want to know how much money one meal costs, which I just learned today? One meal, how much American dollars it actually costs in Haiti for one meal, $100. A lot of you couldn't even buy one meal today because you don't have $100 in your account. Food, so what do they eat? I was educated again to understand they eat mud pies. The real deal. They make mud and put some salt or something in there, and that's what they eat. I mean, it's incredible the way that we live every single day. And, hey, I would say that my family was poor being raised here in Southern California, but the bottom line is we're still probably some of the richest people on the face of the earth. I'm telling you, when you do not have a good world perspective, you, you take things for granted every single day. You don't treasure the things you have. You're a bratty little kid who doesn't recognize what they have. You've got to recognize this. You need to understand. And right now, there's a fam- our family, some of our brothers and sisters are out there doing some great work for the king in an orphanage, I believe, ministering out there. Talk about a place that has need. We need more people to go out. You know, you know what's supposed to happen in Christianity? Jesus told us, you're to go. What does go mean? Go, right? You know the word G-O. G-O. What, what, go. What does that mean, Christian? Let it register in mind. It means to go. Uh-huh. Is that a revelation for somebody here tonight? I think it is. You mean me? Yeah, you. You need to go in the name of Jesus and make disciples of all, all men. All men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a great commission. We are called to go out into the world. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are to be witnesses not only in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to all the ends of the earth. Wow. You know what my goal to see in this generation? If I had the authority, I would do it. And if God gives it to me, you better believe I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise up young people and old. doesn't matter where they're at in their life. I'm going to raise them up, train them on exactly what they're supposed to be doing, in the church, and then I'm going to send them out everywhere. Just start sending them out. You are going to go here. I don't want to go. You're going to go. In the name of Jesus, you're going to go. That's the whole purpose. You're not to sit here and be lazy in the church week after week after week. I'm going to raise you up, teach you what you're supposed to be going to go. You're not going to be want, want to be a part of what I'm doing because I'm going to get in your face about it week after week. It won't be easy to sit in the chair because that is what we are supposed to be doing is going out. 
We've got to. And so they are there in Haiti doing that right now. And I guarantee, even though it's a, what is it, Dion, 10-day trip? Even though it's only 10 days, they will be radically changed forever. Forever and ever and ever, they will be changed. Because of one moment. Because instead of saving up a bunch of money to go spend on clothes, or to put new rims on the car, or to do whatever, they invested two or three thousand dollars to go somewhere else in the world to invest in someone else's life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for that. Amen. Isn't that awesome. Does that inspire? Love seeing that. We need more of that. We've got to stop spending money on us. How much money have you spent on you in your life? Like what percentage of money have you actually spent on you? Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot of money I spent on me. I've got to spend it on Jesus, man. I've got to spend it on Jesus because that's the only thing that we can do here in this life to really put forth in heaven one day for us. You know that? Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasure here on earth. Don't store up for yourselves cars and houses and land and all this. Because he said, moth will come in and eat up your clothes. Rust will come and eat away your cars. And thieves will break in your houses and steal everything. He said this, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Because there is no moth there, there is no rust, and there is no thieves to break in and steal. Why store up here on earth? You understand? And so, Father, we come to you praying for our family out there in Haiti right now. So many kids, Lord. Hundreds of kids being kidnapped every single day. Taken away from their families. Killed. And we live here in our comfortable lives in air conditioning. Anything we want to eat, we have full stomachs. You have taken care of us, Father, and we do not take that for granted. But we want to ask that your spirit would go there into Haiti right now and that you'd feel our people, your people, with your spirit new and afresh. And God, that you give them power to cast out demons, Lord, to raise the sick, to heal the lame. Lord, that mercy and compassion that only you can give Jesus. Oh, please send angels to protect them and to stand around them. And we pray that the angels would minister to them as well. And that they would be so strengthened that they would pour into these kids. And that we'd see a Moses come out of that group. That would lead the nation of Haiti, Lord, out of Egypt. And into the promised land. Oh God, hear our prayers, please, Lord. And God, if there are some here in this group tonight, here at the Upper Room Study, that need to go to Haiti, I pray that you'd impress it on their heart even now. That they would hear your call. And that they would move in the name of Jesus to go to that place to minister to raise up the next generation for the kingdom's sake, for your sake, for your name's sake. Oh, Father, hear our prayer. We lay this group at your feet and we pray that great things would happen because of obedience to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Gosh. Well, Tonight, we will start a new book. As you know, we've been going through the Bible. Yeah, just right through. Started in Genesis and 
been teaching every seventh chapter all the way through the Bible, and we are now in the book of Hosea tonight. Hosea? Hosea. Who? Yeah, his name's Hosea. Hosea. And Hosea, yes, um, man, a very faithful prophet. Probably one of the most amazing prophets in the Bible. And I'll tell you why. Number one, this man ministered maybe longer than any prophet in the Bible. That he prophesied and was a prophet to the nation of Israel possibly longer, his ministry longer than any other prophet. Now, yes, Moses, I mean, kind of had a 120-year thing going on where he, at a moment, uh, a time of raising up this 40 years where he'd kind of been set apart and then 40 years in the desert and then God calls him. But his ministry was about 40 years of leading the people. And Hosea here is leading the people for a long, long time. Um, I believe it's somewhere between 750 B.C. and 712 or 714 B.C. I believe I have the notes written down. But it's quite a bit of time being a prophet to the people. But then we also see him ministering even longer than that. As I was looking at the scholars and what they were saying, they said even as early as 783 uh, B.C. he could have been ministering. Almost up to 80 years, 70, 80 years of time. And so... He's doing lots of work for the Lord, but his work is definitely a unique one that you don't see anywhere else. And those of you who know the story of Hosea, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what a powerful book and what an exciting time. And it really broke me and spoke to me as I was reading through and as I was studying and trying to understand what God would have to say to you guys tonight. And I believe the vision is very clear. Oh, it is very clear. The word of the Lord, the manna for this study tonight is very, very clear. For we, America, are a perfect picture once again of what we will see in the text tonight. Hosea, his name means what? Anybody know? His name means salvation. Did you know that? Salvation. You know what the name of Joshua means? Salvation. You know what the name of Jesus means? Salvation. Salvation. Salvation is definitely something we will see through this man, Hosea, as he plays the picture of God, as he plays the picture of Jesus here in this book. There's two kingdoms. I don't know if you know, but there's the northern and the, and the southern in Israel. The northern they call Israel, and the southern they call Judah. And there are ten kingdoms in the north and two in the south. These are the tribes. The different groups of people that God had separated, you know, days ago. These different groups were really pretty different in contrast. You see one group completely seeking God at many times, and the other not seeking at all. Now Hosea is speaking in the times of the kings. He is a minor prophet. And the reason why they call him a minor prophet is because his book is short. That's the only reason. The major prophets are like Isaiah, Jeremiah. What a lengthy book, huh? Ezekiel, man, we just went through some long books. The minor prophets are just shorter books. That's just what it comes down to. Does it mean they were less prophets at all? 
But these prophets were all prophesying during the times of the kings. You know, first and second kings. You go back, first and second chronicles. You'll see the times of the kings and all that was happening. During the times of the kings and the reigning over um, the Israelites and ruling over Israel, there were prophets that would raise up. Do you remember the prophet who called out David? Do you remember? What was his name? Nathan. Nathan called him out, looked him in the face, said, you were the man. You were the one committing the sin that I'm talking about. We see prophets interacting with the kings. We see them coming and going time and time again. And Hosea is reigning during the time of the kings. And this book, Hosea, was probably written somewhere between 722 and 721 B.C. Right there. It's very precise. We're going to dive right into chapter 1. I'm going to try to lay a foundation of what you're about to see in this story. You've got to understand who Israel is. Do you remember what they've been doing? There are people who does what? It's all the way back to the day of Moses. All the way back to when God pulled them out of Egypt. Do you remember? There are people that do what? Oh, we love you, God, after he parts the Red Sea, huh? They all fall on their face. You are the great mighty king. They praise God and they exalt him. Then what happens? Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, comes down, and what are they doing? Dancing naked around a calf. Moses, I mean, he throws the tablets down there, even in his own brother Aaron is down there, dancing with the people. And they turn from God. And what does God do? He strikes 3,000 dead right there on the spot. 3,000 died that day. I'm sorry, he has people destroy the people who were dancing around, but 3,000. Do you know that the same day that 3,000 were killed, that day is the same exact day on the calendar as the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost, how many people came to Christ? 3,000. Yes, there was death on that day way back with Moses. But on the same exact day, God turned around and did the amazing, the unbelievable. 3,000 come to know him. And this is the story of Israel. God does something great. They turn to him. Oh, you are the great king. They fall into rebellious ways. God turns them over into slavery or or brings wrath upon them. And then what do they do? They repent. And they come back to God again. And then they walk away from him again, don't they? They do the same thing over and over and over. Isn't it amazing? It kind of sounds like our lives. It kind of sounds like the people of God. Hey, they love God one day, hands are lifted high, and they are celebrating with all of their hearts into the king. But somehow the next day they can turn around and walk away from God. It's amazing. I, you know, I just can't believe, I can't believe what I see people do and how far you can get away from God so quickly. Just listen as I lay this foundation. This is important. Family, you've got to understand what way you shouldn't be walking in life so that you never go down that road. This is what could happen to so many here in this room, not tonight maybe, but maybe even a year from now. Look at you. You're here in Bible study. You're fired up about the Lord. You're excited about learning God's word. You want to walk with God. You want to know him. Yet one year from now, somehow... You start complaining to God. 
You start desiring, the sinful nature starts to flare up for some reason. The enemy comes your way and starts to rip you off. Hey, a great job opportunity comes, and so, but you'd have to work on Sunday morning, so you kind of just like, hey, I'll, I'll do that. It's no biggie. You have to start to work, and then you, you never get there again. Or maybe another night that's really precious to you where you go to church. And then sin starts to creep in little by little. And before you know it, you look and you wonder what's going on. But, hey, your heart's been hardened. And you don't sense the Spirit anymore. You can't even hear God. You open the Word. And you get nothing. Because you've started to turn from God and your ear has become dull to Him. Listen, this is important. This could happen to you. Not me. I will never leave the Lord. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Peter. I will never deny you three times. Never, Lord. Wait a minute. What you need to be saying is, oh, Lord, please, please, don't ever, please, God. God forbid. And before you know it, you're walking in a way, in a direction away from God, and you don't even want to turn back to him. Maybe you kind of miss him, but you, you, you don't want to be back with him. Buddy Jay last night was telling me about the man who discipled Billy Graham. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk the earth. Probably is. Brought more people into the kingdom of God than maybe even the Apostle Paul. Billy Graham, the man who discipled him, turned away from the Lord a couple years after he discipled Billy Graham. And he's never walked with the Lord since. And somebody did an interview with him. Lee Strobel did not too long ago. The man is old now. He's in his 80s. He looked the man in the face and said, Lee looked the man in the face and said, do you miss God? And he said, yeah. And I'm sure the next question was something on the lines of, why don't you repent? The man misses God, yet he does not repent and starts seeking God with all of his heart, even though he's seen the work that God has done in Billy Graham's life, and he was the one who discipled him. Amazing! That something could be so real in front of your face, and you still turn from the living God. What I'm saying to you tonight, if you were on that path, careful. God will discipline his kids. And you may be in for the biggest disaster in your life. What will it take for God to wake you up and open your eyes to see that you need him? If you hear the Spirit speaking to you tonight, do not turn these words away. Hide them in your heart forever. For tonight we will see... Hosea told to marry a woman that will cheat on him and run from him. And God tells Hosea to marry this woman because it is a perfect picture of the relationship he has with his people. God marries his people and they run and cheat on him all the time. And God never leaves them, does he? He never forsakes them. And that's what we're about to see. God will remain faithful to you The question is whether or not you will remain faithful to him. Look at Hosea chapter 1. We're going to blow through a lot of scripture, so get ready. Get your thinking caps on and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, and we thank you for this picture so that you can give us wisdom, God, before we get too far away from you. Oh, God, please, I pray for this group. Don't let anyone in here. Don't let anyone, please, God, I know I'm not a righteous man, just please receive this prayer that not one in this room tonight would ever turn from your ways. But God, they would die serving you. 
And I pray the same for my life. Please, God, let the enemy never pull me away. Let my pride never get in the way. Let me never try to take the glory. Let nothing ever distract me, Lord. Keep me handcuffed to you forever. Speak to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please pray for me continually. I need it. Because I feel the enemy all the time trying to kill me and pull me away from the faith. I need brothers around me all the time. That's why I live, eat, and breathe the church and the people of God. And I get to teach because I need it more than you. I guarantee it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Bari, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. First verse there you see, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. His name means what? Salvation. Yes, salvation. We don't really know much about Hosea other than what the book tells us. There's really no other reference to him throughout the Bible. And we don't know anything about his dad except for his name. That's it. There is, it's just interesting that there isn't much information on Hosea. I can't wait to shake the man's hand when I get to heaven. Hey, Hosea, how's it going, man? I can't believe you did that. Wasn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, it was. Tell me about the faithfulness of God. I can't wait. Look at verse 2. In the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, the word of the Lord. Did you see that? Underline that. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. That phrase, you need to be looking for that every single time you read the Bible. What is the word of the Lord for you when you are reading? What is God trying to say to you? Don't read for information. It's a waste of time. It's not a waste. I shouldn't say that. It's good to have information and to understand what you're, what you're reading. But read not just for information to fill your brain, but read for manna and the word of the Lord to fall from heaven and to minister to your heart and to your soul. Every single time, be looking for the word of the Lord. Here it is, the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredom, a children of whoredoms. For the land has committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. What did it say? What does your translation say? Harlotry, prostitution, promiscuous wife. Go take one of those. Now, brothers, let's think practically. You know, the truth is, I mean, even in, even in high school and in the college years, yeah, sure, there's that hot chick across the way that every guy would love to hook up with. That's what's going through the guy's minds if, girls, you didn't know that. It's the truth. They're thinking, man, I'd really like to hook up with that girl, but I would never marry her. Never. Not in a million years. That girl, yeah, right. They would never do it. I don't really love that girl ever. They just want her body. They want the physical things of her. And that's a sad thing. Girls, don't allow the world to deceive you. No guy wants a prostitute. Never. Or anything close to. But if you think about a woman who is pure before the Lord, it's almost like a beautiful flower that has never been touched. It's just perfect in every way. Beautiful and gorgeous to the core. 
And every man on the face of the earth recognizes something that's to be cherished and desires it more than anything because it's the sweetest gift I think any woman could offer to her man one day. A blessing from the Lord. Purity? Wow. It's amazing the contrast. What if God told you you were going to marry a prostitute, guys? Come on, let's go down to L.A. I'm going to find you one. I'm going to pick her out. You're going to be with that woman who's been a prostitute for 20 years. And you're going to be with her till the day that you die. That's your wife. And you're going to serve her and you're going to wash her feet and you're going to minister to her. Are you serious? I don't want that. I don't want her. That's what God has told Hosea to do. What a mission. What an instruction. I mean, who could live this up? Man, I remember when I first even became a Christian, it was just like me and my buddy Jeremy, man, we had just like programmed ourselves to think in such a way like we would not ever for the rest of our lives give any girl the time of day if she wasn't a virgin. In the church, it was like programmed in us. It was like I will never. It was so ingrained deep within our souls that we would wait till we were married, that we'd be focused on this, these things. So I was like 17 years old. We will never compromise. We will never even give anyone the time of day. And God has obviously softened in that area big time because it kind of sounds prideful and arrogant. It's like, what, who are you? And I know who I am, wicked. But I remember the standard was set so high and even to think of marrying or taking on a woman that had you know, gone that direction it just was crazy to us. And you've got to think of Hosea Probably one of the most godly men in Israel, huh? Let's look at a man who's completely pure before God, who's holy and righteous before God, who's sanctified himself. Maybe you know a guy who's completely sanctified himself, loves God with all of his heart. Could you ever see him chasing down a prostitute and going to marry her? It's like, what? That's crazy. Ain't going to happen. But God says, this is my man. This is my man, Hosea. He is salvation. And I want him to go take this woman. He says the reason why is because, look at verse 2, the land has committed great whoredom, prostitution, departing from the Lord. Wow. The Lord just called the nation a prostitute. This is why he is to go and take himself that wife. Is this not true in the church today? Let's think about it. God says, you are my bride. I'm your husband. In this relationship, when you gave your life to Jesus, you've committed to this relationship, a marriage relationship between you and God. Now, guys, this isn't some romantic thing. It's a good picture and illustration. It's not romantic, intimate in those ways. Definitely is an intimate relationship with God in different ways. But it's a relationship nonetheless. And think about how many times we have cheated on our father, cheated on our king. We've walked away. We've gone out and allowed someone to pay us money to give them something. We walk out even though God has given us everything we need, huh? 
a perfect home. You're stable and secure in His presence. Yet you walk away to other things as if He doesn't have enough to offer. And He's saying, this is what the nation has done. And Hosea, I want you to take this woman to give a picture, an illustration of what the nation is doing to me and how it's breaking my heart. And so, verse 3, look what happened. And so he, Hosea, went and took who? Gomer. Her name is Gomer. The daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. Wow. He took this woman and immediately had a child with her. Wow. They have a baby together. They're locked in for life, huh? Yep. They're locked in for life. It's interesting the repercussions of having sex outside of marriage. If you get pregnant, ladies, with someone else and they're not married to you, you think that maybe the guy will walk away and you'll never have to deal with it for the rest of your life. Wrong. You will deal with it every day for the rest of your life in some way, shape, or form. You will. It's a big mistake. Big mistake. Because when children come into the world, there is some kind of commitment there and there is some kind of link there to one another for the rest of your life. And this shows great commitment, does it not? By Hosea. He marries her and he has a kid. Bam, immediately. It's not like, I'm going to test out these waters for about five years and see if she walks away from me. No, he says, we're going to have a baby. We're going to be committed. Interesting. What an awesome man. He's committed. But the Lord says in verse 4, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. The word Jezreel, this name means God will scatter. God will scatter the first child. God says, Hosea, marry this woman, Gomer. And they have a baby, and he says this first baby, his name will be Jezreel. His name will mean God will scatter. And it is prophecy. It is a prediction of what will happen in the future, that God will scatter the nation of Israel. And he does that with the Assyrians. And it says, verse 5, And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And this is speaking of the actual exile that will happen with Israel and the Assyrians in 722 B.C. But look at verse 6. It says what? And she conceived again and bare a daughter. Now one scholar, I don't know if this is true or not, but what does it say in your translation? That first line there, what does it say? Jeremy, what does your say? Verse um, Verse 6. Okay, somebody else, different translation. It says what? Conceived again, okay, another translation. It says what? Soon she conceived again. Notice, notice the first time it says 
and verse 3. So he went to Gomer and and she bare him what? A son, right? She bare him, Gomer. I'm sorry, Hosea a son. But notice here in verse 6 it says she just conceived again. It doesn't say she conceived him a daughter or she conceived him a son. It just says that she conceived. The point that the scholar was making is that she probably had ran out to make some money or something and got pregnant. And the reason we'll see is why later on in the text as we see her run off to other things over and over and over. It says just straight up that she conceived. And it says that she conceived a daughter and the Lord said to call her name Loruhema. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Not having obtained mercy is her name. Not having obtained mercy. The first one, God will scatter. The first name of the first child. The second, not having obtained mercy, is the second. Look at verse 7. Even though it says, not having obtained mercy, God says, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, not by sword, nor by battle or by horses, nor by horsemen. The Lord says he will save them, but it's not going to be by anything that they would do or have any part of it. God's going to do it miraculously. And what we are to note here is that in the first child, God says that he will scatter the people. And then he says that he will actually end up bringing mercy, even though this child is a picture of not having mercy, not being able to obtain mercy because they've rebelled against the Lord. But there will come a moment when God will actually have mercy on them and he will save them. That just gives great hope, you know. Despite the fact that God will scatter a people, even within your own life, he will still continue to show mercy on you that day that you bow the knee and repent to him. What a great king. Look at the next one here. Look at this. Now when he had, when she had weaned Loruhama, she conceived and bare a son. It says just again, she conceived and bare a son. It doesn't say it was to Hosea. It doesn't say to anyone in particular. It just says she conceived again. Then the Lord God said, call his name Loemi. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. This phrase here, underline this phrase, I will not be your God. This phrase is translated more accurately, I will not be your I am. I will not be your I am. What is I am? You remember back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, he's asked, who should I tell the people had sent Who's sending me to them? Who should I tell them that has sent me? He says, say, I am has sent me, sent you. And that's exactly what Moses did. I am. Why the name I am? Because if you think about that, if God came and said, I am has come to you. I am the one that you need. I am your everything. I am is the one who has come to save you. It's something that actually rings in the Jews' ears even to this day, this phrase I am. They know exactly what it's talking about. 
Because when God says, I am, that means He is everything. He is all that you need. He is all that you can confide in. And it's interesting that He says, I will not be your I am. Not my people is the name of this last baby's name. Not my people. And it's true, they are not acting anywhere near like they are God's people. And you've got to understand that God has His arm stretched out, doesn't He, to His people? Always. He's waiting for repentance. And God even says, it's not that my ear is dull that I can't hear you. It's not that my hand's short that I can't reach you. It's actually your sin that separates us. That's what stops us from having a relationship. And isn't it always that way, family? Isn't that always that way with your relationship with God? And whatever you're going through, when you choose to sin, and when you choose to walk away from God, you are not allowing Him to be everything in your life. You're not allowing Him to give you mercy. You're not allowing Him to give you grace. You're not allowing Him to stretch out that hand to you. This is the perfect picture. I will not be your I am. And the implication is because you do not let me. This is really a big deal in the Christian church. Because I think there are so many people who are coming to a point in their walks where they just pursue and pursue and do the same old, same old with Christ, with Jesus. But it almost seems as if they do not need God anymore for everything. It seems as if they're walking in a direction or in a way that is just casual. It's just same old. And then what ends up happening is just like this, you end up walking away from the Lord in some way, shape, or form. And the Lord calls, but you do not hear. You choose not to hear. You choose not to go back. I'm telling you tonight, when we choose to walk in these ways and allow not God to be all that we need, we're missing out on the greatest blessings in life. Is there anything better in life than seeking God and walking with him? Look at verse 10. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sand of the seashore. Wow. Which cannot be measured nor numbered as it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered up together and appoint themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land for great shall be that day of Jezreel. It says there in verse 10, even though there comes a point where God would say to his people, you are not my people because you don't act like it, that he will turn around and say to them, you are my children. And that just seems to be my relationship with God, to be honest. When I walk away from him and when I choose to do my own thing, I find myself in a place of recognizing that I'm not allowing God to be everything that it wants to be in my life. I'm missing out on the blessings that he has. And then even more than that, I'm missing out on blessing others and ministering. And what ends up happening is when I recognize that, I choose to fall on my face as fast as I can. And as I was alluring to earlier, this relationship of walking away even a year at a time 
and missing out on the sweet blessings. You got to know this. Please hear this. If you turn away from God, that's why I prayed that prayer earlier, that these words would be hidden in your heart so deep that if this ever happens to you, that you would truly repent and that God would somehow pull you back and reel you in as fast as he can so you wouldn't end up walking your life in that direction forever. And to come to a point of being taken away by the Assyrians in order for you to be broken, what does it take to open a man's eyes, to get a woman's attention? Have you experienced that within your own life? Where God has says to drop the mega, the atom bomb in your life. Open our eyes to recognize what we're doing is just killing us and destroying us. He says, in that place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. Wow. Verse 11, speaking about the millennial kingdom, when Messiah will return and rule over Israel, it's going to be a great day. Let's move on. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and let her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Oh, man. He says, go say to your mother, go say to Gomer, if you do not turn back to the Lord... If you do not put away the adulteries, if you do not stop walking away, it says, do you see that in the middle of verse 3? Make her as what? A wilderness, a desert. <sighs> this, this is speaking to me and to my mind and to my heart in such a way because of this. Because one of my best buddies, one of my closest friends I've known for a long time is going through something very similar. And I see it with my own eyes. I taste it. And I can almost feel it like within my own soul. Where he's gone off away from the Lord so many times that now his soul is becoming like a desert. And he can't even see. And he's losing the path. He's not understanding that God will strip him naked and allow his whole soul to be as a wilderness which is so dry. If you can keep this in the back of your mind all the days of your life, I think it will help you tremendously. If you just simply recognize that when you choose to walk away from the Lord, you're going to be disciplined and your life will be broken in some way, shape, or form to get your attention. And the crazy thing is, even when listen, even when I'm walk listen, even when I'm walking with God, and I and life just starts to get almost too good, or just in a direction that is just going, and almost like where I'm just not on my toes, I find it all the time that tragedy will hit my life, or something will go down that will shake up the box to get me refocused on the things of God. 
And um, yeah, one of the just the craziest things that happened this last weekend. I can't even tell you. I wish I could. But it's just, it's really, it's blown me away. And really caused my soul just to be in a place of, of sorrow. And very, and shocked. Um, I just can't believe it. But I think it's at the same level. As when Israel walked through that Red Sea. They saw God do the unbelievable. And then just a couple years later, they would completely turn from the Lord. It's amazing. Look at the description of what this woman does. Verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them has done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Did you hear that? And that I will go right there in the middle is better translated, let me go. You know what she's saying? Gomer is saying to Hosea, Hosea, even though you've been so good to me, even though you've taken care of me, even though you've provided for me, let me go. After my lovers. Can you imagine someone cheating on you? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced that. But but listen, what happens when you're married to someone and they look you in the face and say this? Let me go. Let me go with my lovers. They give me bread and they give me water. They give me all that I need. You are not good enough. You do not give me what I need. And then listen, family, let's apply that to God. What man could look God in the face and say, Father, God, let me go. Let me go to my lovers. Let me go to these who will give me all that I need. You don't give me enough, God. Listen to me, fam, please. There are people right now in the church who say these things from the depths of their heart by the way that they live. They actually look God in the face and say, God, I have other lovers. I have other people that I love more than you. I have other things that are more important actually give me better satisfaction than what you give. You're not good enough, God. Jesus on the cross is not enough for me. I've got better things to do. I've got a better focus in life. I'm going to walk away and do other things. You've got to understand the implications of what you're doing when you walk away from God. It's like prostitution. It's being hired to do something else for someone else and completely rejecting all that you've been made to do. It just breaks my heart because I see it within myself. I know who I am. I know how faithful God's been to me. Over the years. I know what a great king he's been. And I know how I've walked away. And walked in my own ways. Time and time and time again. For dumb stuff. And it's saying to God. Like there's something better out there. Look at verse 6. Therefore behold I will hedge up. 
thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her pass. You see this verse 6? This is huge. God says, if you choose to walk in that direction, you know what I'll do? I'll put thorns around and I'll put a hedge, a wall around you. And to be able to walk away from me, it's going to be disaster like you can't believe. And as I was reading some of the scholars speak of this, they were speaking in this way, where a man or a woman could actually walk away from God and such disaster could hit their life and casualties will come into their life that they see and recognize, yes, they choose not to turn to God. They actually get more bitter at God because of it. You think a divorce in someone's life would open their eyes, don't you think? You think that a death in life would open, you think that something being taken away or somebody becoming sick, you think the greatest tragedies that happen in life would open people's eyes. Many times they grow hard and they reject God even more. God says, I will hedge up the way with thorns and make a wall that she, my bride, my people, shall not find her path. I like saying this because it just makes a lot of sense, even though it's kind of an interesting illustration. It's like once you get into this gang, once you get into this family, if you're committed to the family of God, if you've given your life to Christ, you can never get out. You can't get out. Once you get jumped into this gang, you cannot get out. It doesn't matter how bad you want to leave the family. You can't. God will pursue you till the day that you die. Did you know that? It's almost like a curse upon life at times, but the greatest joy ever. Because I know even if I wanted to run, for, if I ran to the other side of the earth right now to just do my own thing, I can almost guarantee that some missionaries show, show up and look me in the face and say, you know, your voice sounds familiar, right? Did you hear that scripture worship CD? Like, what do you, what? Yeah, you know that those like chanting things or something? I'd be like, what do you, oh gosh. And try and run like Jonah. And a fish comes and swallows me and takes me back to Southern California and Newport Beach, man. I get thrown up. <laughs> Go back to your land and preach. You can't run from God. And my question tonight to you is why are you running from God? Why would you run from your king? He's so good to you. Has he not taken care of you? Has he not provided for you? Has he not forgiven your sin? Has he not been good to you all the days of your life? Hey, if your earthly father loves to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father love to give good gifts? Man, if God provides for the birds every day, you ever see a bird get a job? Do they have to work or anything? No, no, then they get to eat every single day, huh? God cares about you more than birds. He loves you. He's going to take care of you all the days of your life. He's such a great God. Why would you run from Him? Why would you want to not obey Him and walk with Him? It's a scary thing to fall into the hands of God and say, hey God, here's the birdie. I'm going to walk away and do my own thing. Careful. Do you think God has to like track you down or something and find you? 
He's the creator of the universe. He sees all things. He sees you in the midst of your sin. He sees you in your darkest places. You can't hide from God. And I'm telling you, the more that you run from God, the more difficult life will be for the Christian. This is why. Because if you know God and you're one of his children, and you try not to walk in his ways and in his statutes, you have the spirit of God that will convict you and chase you and pursue you all the days. You'll, what a miserable place to be, huh? You're a child of God, yet you try and run from him all the time. What a miserable place to be. A lukewarm Christian, that's got to be the most miserable place. Because you can't be like the world. Because they don't know God. They're so ignorant. They do all kinds of foolish things. But you know God. So you get double the torment. You don't only get the repercussions of the things that you do to your life, but then you have the Spirit of God speaking to you and pursuing you and setting up thorns and cutting off your path and pursuing you. It's not worth it to run from God. The best thing you could ever do is run to God, huh? He says, I'll put thorns and make walls and she shall not find her pass. In verse 7, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. She shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. Wow. Did you hear that? She shall seek and find what? Nothing. She shall chase after these things and never be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to always think that the grass is greener on the other side? You know what I'm talking about? Why is that? Even though you know in his presence is fullness of joy, you say things like, you know, I just really like to go and do that thing because it'd just be so much fun. Careful. You think it's greater than the joy that you experience with your king? Yeah, but it's so much fun. I remember back, you know, it was like so much fun, you know, when we did this. Really, it was fun? But didn't you end up getting in a fight with your friend after that? Yeah, but yeah, but this was so cool, you know, I really like doing this, and I really got to get that thing. Why is the grass always greener on the other side? Wisdom. Wisdom tells you. The Bible is clear that when you get to that other side every time, it is not better unless it is with God. Taking you from glory to greater glory, right? Maybe it's something you want. It's like as soon as I get that thing, I'm going to be so happy. And you are, you know, it's kind of like waiting for that package to come in the mail that you ordered offline. Oh, I love those. Me and Brian shop online quite a bit. It's just like waiting for that package, man. And when it comes, it's like... I mean, so much fun, you know, run over there, open your box, dude, check out what I got, man. Yeah. Pop it open. You know, you throw all that little bubble stuff everywhere. You know, you, you want to get to the goods. You look at it. It's like, yeah, this is cool, man. I'm really happy I got this. <laughs> you just <laughs> move on to the next thing, right? It's like, okay, now I got to go wash the car. It's cool for a moment. It is. You play, for, play with the toy. You do it, you know, whatever your thing is that you got. It always seems to be like that girl song with outfits, huh? 
Yeah, you wear it once. You're just like, yeah, I gotta kind of change it up. Gotta do a new combination because I can't wear it again the same way. Even though it was the most exciting thing when you spent, you know, 120 bucks. It was just like the most exciting outfit ever. It works with relationships too. Huh? Only if I had that. But the Lord's saying, that's not good for you. Yeah, but Lord, I, I think, I just want to try. Come on, I think I can make this happen. Listen to my voice. But Lord, it seems right. I've spoken. Why are you doing that still? Do you think it's going to satisfy? Do you see what the scripture says right here? It says what? After you go and seek after those things and find nothing, what will happen? You will go back to your husband and recognize that he had everything. Isn't that the story of the Christian life? You walk away thinking that something is greater and then you come back to the Lord every single time. The sad thing is a man could walk away or a woman could walk away at 20 years old and not make it back for 20 years. Do you know that? Do you know that? I'm telling you, I have friends who I would never think in a million years things that would happen who are happening right now in this moment. And the path that I see for the rest of their life, it's going to take something crazy. Like the next 10, 15 years, they're just going to do who knows what. And then all of a sudden, the bomb is going to drop in their life. And then they wake up. It reminds me of this guy. I heard this story. Ravi Zacharias was telling it. Man. Of this brilliant man. He was teaching the book of Revelation, I believe, like 12 years old, 16 years old. He was just brilliant. And he loved the Lord. But when he got to college years, this was, you know, hundreds of years ago. I don't remember who it was. But when he got to college, he met a friend and he started to question God. He started to allow his mind to get in the way of his heart and the connection he had with God. And he allowed it to get in the way so much that his friend, his friend followed after him. And his friend was, I can't remember his name. His name was like Albert or something along these lines. And as he had helped his friend to steer away from God, they both became atheists. And they started to pursue it and actually attack Christians. Even though as a boy he walked with God, he spends the rest of his life pursuing the things of wickedness and of himself and chases after these things all the days of his life. He says one night... He randomly came into this hotel because it was raining outside and storming. He stopped in this hotel and he asked the man there at the desk, he said, I got to have a place to stay. I just need to sleep here tonight, please. It's raining outside. I can't get to anywhere else. Please just let me stay here. And he says, there's really no place to stay. We have nowhere. Um, He's like, well, look, there's a couch right there. Can I just sleep right here out here in the lobby? I'll be fine. Just let me sleep. He says, that's fine. And all of a sudden, he hears this man moaning and groaning and yelling. He says, who's that? What's going on? He says, oh, it's this, this man. He's in the other room, and uh, he's in excruciating pain. 
his most miserable life. He has mental problems. He's far gone, and his family has kind of left him here to pass away. He said, there's a bed next to him if you want to go in there, and you can sleep there. He's like, yeah, no problem. No problem. I'll sleep right through it. It'll be no big deal. So he goes in there, and he goes to sleep, and here's this man next to him in the next bed, screaming and crying out in agony all night long. In pain, you know, he rolls back and forth just listening to this, couldn't believe it, tries to go back to sleep. All of a sudden he falls asleep and he wakes up in the morning and he goes to the uh, the man there at the counter and he says, hey, we're, uh, you know, what happened to that guy? He stopped moaning last night. He says he died. He says that man was one of the most brilliant men to ever walk the earth. His name was Albert so-and-so. It was his best friend who he had helped to walk away from God and pursue atheism all the days of his life, and he died there. And this man got on his horse, and he started to ride. And he said that the story goes that as he rode and those hooves hammered into the ground, the only thing that he could hear in his head was death, hell, death, hell, death, hell. And he threw himself off of his horse, and he beat himself in the chest and beat himself on the ground. And he cried out to God and repented there in that moment because he had forsaken the living God at a young age and helped others to turn away from him. But he'd missed out on all the blessing of seeking God all the days of his life because he thought the grass was greener on the other side. He went on to be a great missionary. He wanted to do great things for the kingdom, but it took him his whole life to wake up. And I see that adventure for so many young people because they don't get it. That's why the basics of Christianity are so important that you be reading every day, that you be praying every day, that you be in fellowship and with the people of God and that you be sharing your faith every day. If you have these four anchors in your life, you can guarantee that you cannot get ripped off by the enemy and walk away from God. God forbid that you walk away from the Lord. There will come a time when you will come back and repent and fall on your face and beat your chest because you rebelled. There's so many men that look me in the face and say, Josh, I wish I was serving God at your age. I can't believe I wasted my life. Don't do it. Let these words resonate in your heart. Look at verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her corn. You see that? The husband speaking. She didn't even know that I gave her corn, all that she needed, and wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and her gold, which they prepared for Baal. Man, that's a whole sermon right there. Therefore will I turn and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all of her myrrh to cease, her feast days and her new moons and her Sabbaths and her solemn feasts. He's speaking about Israel. And I will destroy her vines and her figs, fig trees. Whereof she had said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given to me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall eat them. Wow. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them and she decked herself with her earrings and with her jewels and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Do you see that? 
There actually came a time, became a time when she actually forgot God, put on, did herself up, put on the earrings and makeup and all the above and went and pursued her lovers other than God. God had given her all of these things, all that she had, and she actually gave it to her lovers. Can you believe that? Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Wait, wait, here's the turning point. Okay, are you ready? After we've talked about all the misery and all the destruction that comes with turning from the Lord and being a prostitute before the Lord, look at what God does despite your unfaithfulness. Are you ready for this? I can't even believe this. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will woo her, that's what he's saying, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of trouble or acor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there in the days of her youth and in, the, in that day, as in that day when she came out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, which means my husband, and shall call me no more Bailey. I'm sorry, yeah, shall call me more my, my Lord. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth... Oh, this is awesome. Stop there. I got to listen, God says, even after you have murdered against me, even after you've destroyed my people, even after you cheated on me, if someone cheated on you, would you ever take them back? How many times? If they cheated on you two times, would you take them back? Ladies, five times? Ten. Would you leave them? God says, I will take you back, and I will love you, and I will give you all that I gave you before. And I will bless you and I will lift you up and exalt you. And I will minister unto you and I will serve you. This is crazy. This doesn't happen anywhere in society. But God says, not only will I do all that, but I will make everything like it was and make it even better than it was before. And then all of a sudden in verse 19, look at what God says. I will betroth thee unto me forever. You see that? Boys, brothers, if your wife, say you're with your wife for 10 years, you had just such a great marriage, you poured into her, you did all that you could for her. She walked away and left you and went and became a prostitute. Then 10 years later, she comes back to knock on your door. Would you take her back and say this, I will be with you forever forever even if you walk away from me again i will never leave you what this is insane i will never leave you i completely forgive you i hold no grudge against you i hold nothing against you you're forgiven in my eyes come back in i have a bathtub prepared for you and i'm going to fix you dinner and i'm going to minister to you all night what a blessing. God is such a great king. He says, I will marry you forever. 
and I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and judgment and loving kindness and mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. These two scriptures, you've got to know this, you Bible students. These two scriptures are the scriptures that the Jews say over and over and over when they put the tefillim on, when they take the uh, what's the other? It's when they take the box and they put it on their forehead and on their hand. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll see this. The Jews will take this leather strap with this box on it, and it has the Torah in it. These small scrolls in this little box, and they wrap it around. They always thought that I was a Jew. So they walk up and be like, hey, you want a tefillin? And I'd be like, no, I'm cool. Oh, come on, you know, don't you want to pray? And I'd just be like, no, I'm cool. This is what they do. They wrap this stuff on, a box here, and then a box they wrap on their forehead as well. And then they sit there and they bob and they pray and they say these scriptures. This one right here, this is the one that they say. Isn't that amazing? Because look at what God is saying. He's saying, even though you've been wicked, I will receive you. And it shall come to pass in that day, verse 21, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow unto me in the earth and I will have mercy on her that has not obtained mercy. I will say unto them which are not my people, thou art my people and they shall say, thou art my God. Isn't that awesome? How I long for the day when my friends repent and come back to the Lord. Aren't those the sweetest days, family? Repentance is sweet. It's not a bummer. Never. It is the sweetest thing you could ever do. Listen, if you've walked away from the Lord or you find yourself walking away from the Lord, To come back to him is the greatest thing you could ever do. Don't waste your life. Don't waste time. Like I said in the beginning of this message, it is what draws me and keeps me close to God all the days of my life. The fact that even though I have been wicked, if I just turn around and come back, if I just turn around, I used to give this illustration all the time. If you walk a hundred steps away from God, God will walk 99 steps behind you. And all you got to do is turn around. That's all you got to do. And he is waiting for you. He is a great king who waits for his people who pursues them all the way till the end of the age. And this is the message that has changed my life forever. I did a message a long time ago when I came back from Mexico called God Marries a Prostitute. And that's who I feel that I am many times in my life. God has been so gracious to me. How could he use a guy like me? Yeah, but Josh, you're faithful. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, I know who I am. I just don't get it a lot of times in my life. Maybe if I bore the sin of my heart, you would probably stone me. 
Josh, we can't follow you. I can't believe we even listened to your messages. I tell you this to exalt how gracious God has been to me and help you recognize how gracious he will always be to you if you choose to come back to him always. Don't run from God, please. Don't do it. It will ruin you. And at the end of your life, you'll regret it. I'm going to pray that prayer once again, and I'm going to pray for everyone in this room. Um, that if you do need to come to God, that you just make that change right now. Right now. You wouldn't let another moment go on. But that in this moment, you just say, God, that's me. I know who I am. Oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched woman. I am not faithful. I need your touch. I need change. I need focus. And can you just enjoy God's grace? Just enjoy it tonight, you know? Just sit back and say, man, I can't believe it. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Yes. Father, I thank you. You are the greatest king forever and ever and ever. God, I have no clue. Father, I have no clue why you continue to use me, why you let me speak to these people. Lord, between you and me, you know who I am. You know I have not been a faithful man. I can't believe that you would give me this opportunity even to speak this message tonight. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray for everyone here in this room that they would recognize your grace and your mercy. They would recognize that you could wipe them off the face of the earth in a second. That you could kill any one of us if you desired. And that we do deserve that. But that our eyes would be open to see your grace and your mercy upon us. That we have not been faithful. We've cheated on you. And God, there may even be some here in this room tonight who are in the process of walking away from you. And you seem to catch their attention tonight. I pray that repentance would happen in this room. God, that changed lives would happen. Hey, family, if that's you tonight, you need to repent in the name of Jesus. You need to get things right with God. What are you waiting for? You think the grass is going to get greener? If God is speaking to you now, reconcile things with him. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I messed up. I'm sorry. I need your touch. Make things right in my life. Help me, Lord, to seek you with all my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Please, Lord, heal these people. Family, can we offer ourselves up to God? I'm going to pray a prayer of just offering ourselves unto God. And I just want you to repeat after me. We're just saying to God that we're going to give him our lives and we're going to give him all the way out. And if you want to pray this, a prayer of offering unto God, just giving up your life, you pray it from your heart. Don't pray it if you're not going to pray it from your Please, just don't waste your time. Don't say words. It just, it's a waste. If you desire to give yourself holy to your husband, to your king, to your master, and be close to him and walk with him, then do these things tonight. You prayed after me right now. Just let's pray together. Uh, Father, we give you our lives. We're sorry for running from you. 
for being wicked people. We have sinned before you. We thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being gracious to me. For taking me back. For setting me free. For forgiving me. Giving me life. Giving me a second chance. And a third chance. And a fourth chance. You're gracious God. And I love you. I give you my life. If there's anything you need, you let me know. I'm here to serve you and to bless you all the days of my life. Please don't ever stop pursuing me. Keep me close to you, God. Thank you for being faithful. Help me to be faithful to you. God, please hear these prayers. Please hear every single one of these people. (sighs) Keep us close to you. We love you, Lord. And um, I just pray a special blessing over every single one who did pray that. And that you would minister to their hearts as they go tonight. And they would not forget. They would never run far from you. Thank you for the picture of Gomer. Thank you for Hosea's salvation. We pray that great things would happen because of it in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, family, for going two chapters with me tonight. I know it was long and lengthy. and uh, But I encourage you guys to continue to stretch your attention span and take in more. Wash yourselves in the word. Challenge yourself. When your mind says no more, you say, uh-uh. I'm going to take in more. Because my body needs it. My soul needs it. Challenge yourself. Don't let the TV tell you how much you can take in. It's not 30-minute TV programs. No, it's not. Please take these things in. Not only be hearers of the word, but doers tonight as you go. Amen? I love you guys. And I want the best for you all the days of your life. 